Hello, this is Written Butterfly, the podcast. My name is Beth D. Carter, and welcome to the second podcast ever. The first one went smoothly, although the audio was a little off, so hopefully I've corrected that. A little about me, I've written everything from short stories to regular-length novels. I love talking to others in this craft of ours and discovering their journeys thus far. As I mentioned before, this podcast had been an idea percolating in my head for a while, a way to connect the writers we love to readers who may not be able to make it to conventions. I was supposed to interview somebody this week, but due to the whole world going crazy factor, um, I decided to interview myself. So I'm here today talking about this, The Scarlet Dove, which is a book that was just released from me um, back in January through Beachwalk Press. And I really hope you enjoy hearing about what inspired me to write this book and me reading a little excerpt from it. So what got me into writing? I'm a reader, first and foremost. My first book boyfriend was Encyclopedia Brown. I started reading my mom's Harlequin Presents at about age 11 or 12, which is nuts now that I think about it because I can't imagine my 13-year-old picking up a romance novel and reading it simply because it did kind of warp my perspective about how romance and love and happy ever after should be. I was reading these mighty heroes falling in love with these women and everything was just, you know, rose-colored glasses after that. I've been writing for probably my whole life, but um, I think I wrote my first book when I was about 14. I wrote it longhand and in a spiral notebook. What inspired The Scarlet Dove? So Scarlet Dove is a historical menage romance, which means there's one girl, two guys, and I love history. I'm very pro-women's lib. The two uh, married, my love of history and women's lib kind of married each other. And I dreamed up Liza's journey through the Old West. I took inspiration from reading about the first female doctor in the United States, Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. She, was, she had a fascinating but very sad history. Um, she became a doctor in 1849. And she only was entered into medical school as a joke because she applied to every medical school in the country. And one medical school decided they to give the vote to the student body, which were, which were all men. And the men thought it would be funny to have a female around. So they actually allowed her and voted her in, thinking that she was never going to last. But she did, and she became a doctor in 1849. What's next for me? Well, I have two futuristic romances that are coming out soon from Evernight Publishing. Um, ironically enough, it is about a virus who wipes out about 85% of the population. So kind of dark future, you know, I don't know, it's, it's very dark now that you're considering what's going on in the world now. But anyway, part one is coming out soon. Book two is coming out after that. I also has, Evernight just also picked up a time travel from me. It's called Dreamland. Now, this was a pretty previously published book, and it is one of my favorite books I've ever written. The reason why I don't, I think it did so poorly from my first publisher is I had a very horrible cover. This is one job where you do judge a book by its cover, and my cover was horrible, and I think that readers were really turned off. It was set 
set in the 19 it was set in 1927 the, the hero of the story time travels back to 1927 and it's told from his perspective but the woman on the cover of my first my first cover of this book she was in a bikini and she had a feather in her hair and she's doing like this sultry pose which has nothing to do with flappers like it has nothing to do with I think that they thought oh she has a feather in her hair she's 19 she's a flapper no it was horrible. So as soon as I could, I took the rights back. I've been sitting on the story for, since I got my rights reversed, probably about three years. I've reworked it. I made it stronger. I made it better. I took out some scenes that were not needed. And I absolutely love the story. And I'm so excited that it, pretty soon it's going to be coming from Evernight. Who are my main inspirations? My main inspirations for writing. Hmm. There are a lot. Lisa Kleypas, Julia Quinn, I love this too because they just put a lot of humor into their stories, especially Judith Quinn, Julia Quinn, sorry, Julia Quinn. She is just so funny to read, and I'm so excited that they're bringing the Bridgerton series to Netflix. I cannot wait to see it. The other inspiration I have is Judith Tarr, which is where I got the two names mixed up. Judith Tarr is a fantasy novelist. She writes fantasy novels, and... She wrote a series called the Avarian World series. If you have not read this book, you should. It's just the world, the world building as well as the word building, just amazing to uh, to read. And she really inspired me a lot. How do my fam? How does my family feel about my writing? Well, my husband helps me a lot with all the time. I'll throw out like, I need a title for this story, or I need a hear, I need a a bad guy's name, or whatever, and he'll think about it and he'll let me know. So he's very supportive. I'm also grateful to be surrounded by a lot of creative people. My son happens to be a fantastic artist, and he's 13, and I encourage him so much to to really grasp his dream and to and to stay with it because he's a fantastic artist. If you ever are on Instagram, you should go to my Instagram account. I post a lot of his artwork on my Instagram account with his permission. And my stepdaughter is, she's also a fantastic artist. I have some of her paintings up on my wall. I, I love her creative eye and I'm always in, inspired by her and I'm inspired by my son. What is the hardest part of writing? The hardest part of writing for me are the day-to-day -day scenes. Action is easy to write. Dialogue is okay. But the monotonous point, the monotonous routine of getting from point A to point B in between the action is very difficult to write. It's tough. And for me, that's the most boring part. Any sage advice I can give to an author? Read a lot and learn. Learn to take critique. It's about the work. It's not about you. And any critique that you get, you should take it in stride and learn, okay, this, how do I make this better? Because writing is very organic. You constantly learn. If you don't learn and adapt and get better at it, then you're stagnant and that's not what a writer does. That's not what, what writing is about. Find a beta reader. Find someone that you trust to read through your voice, I mean, through your work, and critique you and proofread you and I have the most fantastic beta reader my friend C.R. Moss who I interviewed last week she's my beta reader and I we work so well together I, I just love her to death and the last advice I can give you is trust your inner voice 
when you sit down to write, you have, especially people who, who outline, they, they're like, this is the structure I got to follow. Sometimes your characters are like, nope, I'm not going to go in that direction. I do not want to do that. And you forcing them into that direction really can hinder how the words flow or even hinder how your readers read your story. So trust your inner voice and trust that your characters are leading you down a path that is the right path. Where to find me? I am on Facebook, I am on Twitter, and I am on Instagram. On my Facebook are links to my blog and, my, and this podcast. So you'll be able to um, read my interviews. I interview a lot of people. So I, I love putting their stories and, and their releases on my, on my blog. I also, on Thursdays, we do an Evernight um, writing challenge. I answer those writing challenges every Thursday. Every Friday, I do a Flashback Friday, which highlights some of my past work. So if you want a little glimpse into other stuff that I've written, you can always check that out. Now for the Scarlet Dove, I am going to read a little piece of it. I'm going to read the beginning. So this is chapter one. You owe me a lot of money, Miss Trent. Liza cast a quick glance at the man who spoke. The charm of his southern twang barely concealed his menace. He had introduced himself as Mr. Reynolds, her travel benefactor, when the stagecoach had finally come to a halt in Diablo Hills, Arizona. With the swarthy undertones of someone mean, the lifelessness in his dark eyes hinted at a streak of cruelty. He stood tall, very thin, and dressed impeccably in silk brocade pinstripe, complete with a top hat and cane. Her face flushed, and she quickly looked back down at her hands. I know it's a terrible shame, he went on. Having your intended pass before the wedding. But business is business, Miss Trent. He paused to fuss with some dust on his left sleeve, letting his point sink in. Slowly, he lifted his eyes to meet hers. Now you have business with me. Sweat gathered between her breasts. She shifted in her seat, trying to find some comfort in this stifling room from the oppressive heat. But found little relief. With no windows, the room was nothing short of a tinderbox from hell, leaving her to think she might pass out at any minute. Perhaps that might be best, considering. How much? she whispered, barely able to speak past a lump in her throat. The new life she had envisioned rapidly faded from sight. Well, let's see, there's the cost of your coach ticket, the chaperone services of Mrs. Nambag Baker. Your hotel fees, your food fees, and of course, my fee for bringing you and your intended together. So total, Miss Trent, your balance is $500. Something heavy landed on her chest, and for a moment, she struggled to breathe. $500, she gasped. I don't have that much money. Well, then I guess you're in a pickle, said Mr. Reynolds smoothly. She clasped her hands together tightly and focused on a particularly large freckle near her left thumb, one of the thousands she must have, and let her mind wander for a moment. When she left Boston to become the bride of a man she had never met, it had seemed all her money problems had been solved. Upon her arrival, however, she had been informed her fiancé had succumbed to heart trouble, bringing the nightmare of the past year to a blistering head. Miss Trant? She blinked and jerked her eyes back to Mr. Reynolds. I can work, she said. I, I can clean, 
wash clothes, so I know how to crochet. Mocking amusement lit up Mr. Reynolds' fathomless eyes. Miss Trant, you could sew and wash and crochet for a hundred years, and you'd still not be able to repay all that you owe me. In fact, there is only one profession that I can think of that would repay the revenue I've invested in you. A job where your services are best rendered on your back. Do you understand what I'm saying, Miss Trent? She swallowed, her heart hammering heavily in her chest. Yes, she knew exactly what he implied. The very reason why she was here now, sitting in this hot little room in the middle of nowhere Arizona, was because she had been trying to escape just such a fate. As it happens, he continued, satisfaction dripping in every word, I am in a partnership with an establishment where you'd be able to ply the working woman's trade, per se. I believe such a match would be advantageous to both of us, Miss Trent. He bent his knee bent down on one knee beside her and fingered her strawberry-red hair that lay limp from the sweat and gravel dust. You would certainly fetch a high price, my dear. Someone with your fair coloring is rare amongst the harsh Arizona land. Then he licked her cheek, the slick tongue starting at the corner of her mouth, and traveled upward. Liza jerked her head away, and she jumped from her seat, wiping furiously at the saliva coating her skin. He rose from his kneeling position, smiling with satisfaction. You ply your trade well, Miss Trent, and perhaps we can work together in a more intimate setting. I'd rather die, Liza stated, her chest heaving. She looked around the small room, and her gaze collided with Reynolds' bodyguard Hammond, a hulking man who stood still as stone with arms the size of trees crossed in front of him. Such melodrama, Reynolds smirked, making a motion with his finger. Mrs. Nan Baker stepped to his side, her spine ramrod straight. She never liked the older, rail-thin woman who had shown up in Boston and announced she was to be Liza's chaperone and escort. Mrs. Nan Baker had the look of someone who drank curdled milk every morning just to get into the right frame of mind to face the day. The gray hair near her temples pulled so tightly that her eyes bulged with a perpetual look of surprise. Mrs. Nan Baker will escort you to my establishment here in Diablo Hills where... She will prepare you for your debut. I hope you have enjoyed a reading from The Scarlet Dove by me, Bethy Carter. Can Liza find her place in a lawless world? When Liza Trent decided to become a mail-order bride out west, she never imagined her fiancé would die before she arrived. His death places her in debt, and the only way to pay off the money is by auctioning off her virginity against her will. When she's rescued by two handsome men, she mistakenly thinks they're assassins. Despite her reservations, she accepts their protection. Only the two men, Apollo Beck and Blue Hawk, aren't assassins. They're Texas Rangers sent after a man who preys on women, and their dangerous hunt has just brought Liza into the line of fire. Confused with the attraction she feels for two men, Liza has a difficult decision before her. Commit to loving Apollo and Blue, or commit to her burning desire to become a doctor unless she's found and taken for revenge first. I hope you enjoyed my podcast today. You can check out The Scarlet Dove at all major resellers, retail sellers that uh, sell ebooks like Amazon, or you can go to the, the publisher's website, Beachwalk Press. You can also find it on my blog. So thank you so much. This has been Beth D. Carter, and I'll talk to you later.
I hope you enjoyed a reading from The Scarlet Dove by me, Bethy Carter. Can Liza find her place in a lawless world? When Liza Trent decided to become a mail-order bride out west, she never imagined her fiancé would die before she arrived. His death places her in debt, and the only way to pay off the money is by auctioning off her virginity against her will. When she's rescued by two handsome men, she mistakenly thinks they're assassins. Despite her reservations, she accepts their protection. Only the two men, Apollo Beck and Blue Hawk, aren't assassins. They're Texas Rangers sent after a man who preys on women, and their dangerous hunt has just brought Liza into the line of fire. Confused with the attractions she feels for two men, Liza has a difficult decision before her. Commit to loving Apollo and Blue, or commit to her burning desire to become a doctor, unless she's found and taken for revenge first. I hope you enjoyed my podcast today. You can check out The Scarlet Dove at all major resellers, retail sellers that uh, sell ebooks like Amazon, or you can go to the, the publisher's website, Beachwalk Press. You can also find it on my blog. So thank you so much. This has been Beth D. Carter, and I'll talk to you later.